0: your intro dope when you don't want it to end. <laughs> oh, But welcome to A Different Brain. I'm your co-host Anisha. And I'm Kendra. And I'm Kadita. And this is a podcast for the people by the people. Now this show is made possible by Alabama Values Progress, a communications hub that's dedicated to breaking the cycle of misinformation during the times where the truth is pretty much hard to find. So we're delivering facts data and receipts on what's happening in Alabama. Now, today's episode is titled, You Down with AVP? Yeah, you know me. (laughs) All right, so we're going to dive in into today's episode. Kendra, why don't you let everyone know what's on tap today?
1: Yeah so everyone today is our first episode of A Different Frame and during this episode we're going to introduce you to Alabama Values Progress. We'll let you know what you can expect from AVP especially during the redistricting special session but we'll get to that a little later. And there's no one more suited to tell you more about the organization than our executive director Anisha Hardy.
0: Oh, thank you, Kendra. This is so true. Um, Alabama Values Progress is a communications hub, and some of you may be wondering what is a communications hub. Well, ultimately, we're the civic plug for people on the ground and a sounding board for organizations on the ground working to break down barriers to civic participation, such as voting or uh, redistricting work. We work directly with grassroots and coalitions across the state to increase transparency and accountability. I mean, we also create content and messaging strategies that disrupt the cycle of misinformation and tear down the frames of disinformation, similar to this podcast. Um, Our approach is to leverage the power of culture, visual stories, messaging to amplify voices and values that's advocating for a more inclusive and equitable Alabama. Now. Over the past few years, there's been this movement, y'all, building amongst grassroots organizations, um, dedicated specifically to filling the gaps in Alabama's civic and political infrastructure for progress and policy change. Policy change to create, like I mentioned, an equitable and inclusive Alabama. Um, Alabama values progress. We are part of that movement. Um, we, you know, we're part of that collective, and that's a power. That's power in the collective, right? Um, and speaking of power in the collective and, and partnerships, one of our co-hosts, Kadida, um, is a great example of how we all work together in these civic spaces.
2: Yeah, so I know we all heard the saying, teamwork makes a dream work. That yes, it does. Apply, right, exactly. It doesn't just apply in sports. It applies in any community engagement, civic engagement, social justice work. And it's the most important part because there isn't any social movement or social cause that was done by one person. It's always been a collective, i.e. this yeah. podcast, It's three of us, we're a collective. So we're all coming together so that people can be a part of the conversation because they most certainly deserve to be a part of the conversation. Um, my start in this political civic engagement space was when I was 13. Uh, my father was sentenced 60 years in prison for a drug mm-hmm. charge. And at the time, I knew that 60 years wasn't wasn't right because I knew that murderers didn't even get that and I had a sense of understanding of how the system worked and so, um, that following year, I got the opportunity to page at the Alabama House of Representatives. And at the time, when my mom first asked me about it, I was like, oh, I get to skip school for a week. I'll do it. But once I got there and I realized who I was around, where I was, um, and how that they could help me, I kind of started to change my perspective. Um, and So I, I paged up there up until I was 2021 and I really up until I couldn't anymore. uh, But I spoke to senators, representatives, uh, parole board members, lobbyists, and and really everybody else that would um, listen to what had happened to my father and I was just advocating for him. So um, in 2016, my father's parole board hearing came up and he was released. Yeah, so after that, I applied for a job. I applied for an internship at the Alabama House of Representatives, but they offered me a job. And so I worked there for three sessions. And after I left and after I um, yeah, after I left, I started going into campaign work, advocacy work, uh, grassroots organizing mainly because of my experience there. Um I understood how the system worked better than I ever understood it before because I had worked there for so long. At least it felt long.
0: Um, yeah, so so um, you skipped you you thought you were skipping school and you ended up getting school. That's what I Yeah, happened. Exactly, that's, that exactly happened. What, that's exactly that's <laughs> exactly so, what happened. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so I just want to put people on to the information that they didn't know. Like if people knew how absurd and like crazy you know people the the elected officials that they voted for the things that they would say and do they would have a totally different perspective so I just wanted to have have a place to where I could just tell people how it really works and so fast forward to now I'm currently the data and training manager for Alabama Forward and I love it so yeah
0: yeah Shout out to Alabama Ford, um, doing some great, uh, you know, they're the state civic table, doing some great work on the ground. Um, Their table members doing some great work on on the ground. Um, Shout out to shakethefield.org. You know, those of you that are trying to figure out how to plug in, how to find your space, how to get involved, shakethefield.org is a great resource for that to connect you. And then also Alabama Election Protection Network, um, a great organization also, especially during the redistricting cycle. Um, And I think their site. It's voteprotection.org like if, you're, if you're really trying to get information and also tap in and get involved.
1: Yes. Yeah, so being in this space is great because we can make a difference in the lives of so many people. And thinking back to my newspaper career, that's really what ex- inspired me to really get involved in these c- civic spaces. Because during that time, I got to talk to so many people who experienced disparities in their communities. And these issues were really holding them back. One of the stories that kind of sticks out in my mind um, was a mom from OP, And she lived in public housing had three sons. And she decided one day that she wanted to teach them about responsibility. And, you know, she didn't really have an education, so she went to work at a local fast food establishment and of course she was making very little money doing that but she wound up losing some of her food stamp money and her rent increased like to this amount that really wasn't feasible for her to pay so she had no choice but to quit her job to make it work which is really sad Um, so she told me that she felt like she was just stuck in this rut and that she couldn't get out of it. So that really, really, you know, resonated with me. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that sticks out in my mind is Leon's County. I worked there for a while and the residents there, you know, they forever have been a motivating factor for me. Like, you know, in my need to be in these civic spaces and fight for change, because, you know, there are so many amazing people that live in that county, but they are living in one of the poorest counties in America Mm -hmm. and their stories, they've just forever touched me and fueled my passion for and my courage to fight for this change in the state. And of course, we all know that Alabama desperately needs to become a state that embraces all of its people. Um, and yeah. working at AVP is really given me, you know, the opportunity to help amplify work of the grassroots organizations like Alabama Ford, Cadeta Works, and, you know, they're the ones that are working super-duper hard to make Alabama a better place to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree, Kendra. Um, You know, I've always been involved in marketing and branding and content creation for over a decade now, you know, just working with nonprofits and for profits, um, also serving as a professor in the areas of comms, mass media and society, media ethics. Uh, But however, the pivotal point for me was in 2020, all of the social unrest and injustice that just was so prevalent, like in the news. It was a lot like i i think i'm suffering from ptsd like yeah, that was 2020 a lot. was a lot yeah yeah like and and i mind you um i you know definitely hyper aware of you know the things that were going on in 2020 that it's not unique to our country's history but i just became hyper sensitive to it in 2020 and you know i asked myself okay anisha what are you doing Like, what are you doing to help bring about this change? Um, You know, the change that you want to see. And, you know, and I told myself, okay, it's time for me to get out of the classroom. Um, I want to leave academia. I want to be on the ground with the people. You know, I was just ignited to action and and it was just very important to me to utilize my my skills in civic engagement, uh, communications, and research in a manner that directly amplified the voices and increased the power of marginalized and disenfranchised communities. It was so vital to me to just be in a space y'all that was you know, dedicated to eradicating or addressing issues that plague Black, Indigenous, people of color communities, and ultimately that threaten our democracy.
2: Yeah, those issues that do plague these uh, communities as well as threaten our democracy, like you said, is redistricting. And that's what the next few episodes of this podcast is about. Uh, If you want to know the who, what, and when of redistricting, then you are definitely in the right spot.
0: You're right, Kandida, you know, redistricting is connected to so many issues and that is definitely why, you know, and especially you know we're ahead of the special sessions, and we're we're gonna focus on just making sure uh, that the community know what's going on. Um, but now for our listeners who are wondering, what are we talking about? Like, what is redistricting? What special session? Don't worry, we got you covered. Okay. Um, you know, we got you covered. Yeah, we got you covered. we got you covered. We gonna we, <laughs> we gonna help you out. So, Kendra, <laughs> for those viewers, you know, and listeners that are like, okay, what are y'all talking about? So why don't you take them, you know, let's go down memory lane. Let's just catch them up to speed. Why don't you take a moment and do that?
1: Yeah. So to do that, we're going to have to take it back. And by that, I mean like way back to 1901. and that's the, oh, that's year that the Yeah, <laughs> it's way back. Um, <laughs> so that's the year that the Constitution of Alabama that we're currently under was passed. And in that, it was mandated that the legislature redistrict every 10 years.
2: Yeah, and so for those who don't know, redistricting is a process that happens every 10 years, and it happens right after we take the census, because you have to take that census data and give it to the reapportionment committee, and that data is what helps us redistrict our cities, school boards, and states. And why do we redistrict, though? Because these are the same lines that determine who represents you and your community.
1: Yeah, so even though it's super important, the legislature couldn't even manage to follow its own rules and redistrict. Uh, in fact, they didn't really redistrict for decades, and then when they did, most of the maps they drew, they ended up in some sort of litigation.
0: Uh, but Who's really surprised by that? Like, are we really surprised by that? I mean, this is the state with the same constitution that was made to disenfranchise black folks. I mean, it's 2021 and Alabama is just now coming around to removing racist language from its constitution. So Yeah,
2: and that was in November of 2019 when we had to make that vote
0: on that amendment yeah two years yeah. ago just now so, so pretty much they were like yeah uh, bubble in or circle yes and no if you want to be racist
2: Right. Okay. Yeah. I circle, no. I
0: don't know about yeah. y'all, but yeah, I, me circle, too. No. I don't, I don't want to be racist.
1: <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> okay, y'all, so let's skip ahead to 1940. In 1940, the governor was kind of like tired of them not redistricting, so he told the legislature, hey, if you don't redistrict, then I'm going to make a committee that consists of myself, the Secretary of State, and the Attorney General. And guess what? The legislature still didn't redistrict and the governor didn't do anything about it. How's that for accountability?
0: Yeah, so just empty threats, right? Okay. Yeah, so crazy. crazy.
1: Yeah, and then another crazy fact is that despite the fact that the legislature had not actually redistricted before, they thought for some reason they needed a committee to study redistricting in 1950.
2: See, I'm starting to notice a trend with these committees because was something actually done?
1: Uh, No, the committee that they formed recommended that they delay action until the state got its results in 1950. So they, after they got those results, they were like, they attempted to redistrict in 1956 and 1959 and surprise, both of those were unsuccessful attempts. So fast forward to 1961, and 14 alabama resident uh, birmingham residents actually they were like nope we've had enough and they filed a class action suit asking that the legislators they elected at large until they could you know get with the program and follow the constitution
0: see shout out to the 14 birmingham residents that's what i'm talking about the power of the collective coming together standing up for your community and i mean what was the result of that kendra
1: Yeah, so this is really a prime example of why you should stand up because what happened was the federal court ruled in favor of the residents and told the state of Alabama, you must redistrict by a certain deadline or the court was going to do it for them. So what happened was they called a special session like the one we're about to have. They passed two bills and they were done. But in less than a week, the court had voided those plans and they ordered the state to use the court's plan immediately. I don't know about y'all, but this is just exhausting. And, uh,
0: yeah, it is.
1: and how many tax dollars have been spent just because the legislature couldn't play by the rules or didn't redistrict properly? And y'all, special sessions are expensive. It costs like $400,000 to have a special session, which yeah, is absolutely crazy.
0: And it's, and of my money, taxpayers' yeah. money, I mean, uh-huh. my money. Yeah, no, they and better I, get these funds right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know about y'all, but I'm paying attention to my money. And I, I want to know where it could go. So thank you, Kendra, for telling me how much yeah. it costs.
0: I can think of so many ways that this state can use that money, you know, education, healthcare, right. I mean, so many, so many ways.
2: Infrastructure, so many ways, for
0: sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so basically every single time there's been a redistricting attempt, there's been something rolled wrong with it.
0: Yeah. So some of you may be wondering, okay, thank you, Kendra, for that walkthrough. Now, how can I tap in and get involved in this process um, now, that, now that I have an understanding of what it is and, and a his- in a Alabama's history around redistricting? And then there may be some of you that may be saying, okay, well, I just still don't see why I should, you know, care about this? Um, I mean, redistricting is connected to so many core community issues. I mean, because it happens once in every 10 years, oftentimes redistricting is only talked about once in every 10 years. Right. But yeah. it is connected. <laughs> it's connected to so many issues that we deal with year round. Um, for example, education, like redistricting yeah. is connected to education.
2: Yeah. And education, racial gerrymandering is probably many of the multiple reasons why alabama schools are failing and what controls that redistricting and if we look at a school board map we can see that these lines that are drawn aren't really making sense and the way that you draw these lines can uphold segregation by keeping low-income students out which is bad for economic growth let's talk about district one and district District 1 consists of Butler, Conneca, Covington, Escambia, Crenshaw, Baldwin, and Mobile Counties. And District 2 consists of Cleverham, Clay, Randolph, Tallapoosa, Chambers, Lee, Russell, Barber, Coffey, Dale, Henry, Geneva, and Houston Counties. But if you look at the map, there's no reason why they should be drawn this way. Given the demographics of the state, plus the way that they they drew these lines for these districts is most certainly racial gerrymandering.
0: Yeah, no, at those, yeah, that map doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, but redistricting is also another core issue that we all should care about. Redistricting is also connected to healthcare, right?
1: Yeah, so many people may not even realize that 17 hospitals have closed in Alabama since 2010. 17? Yes, 17 hospitals. Wow. And, And not to mention the fact that there are many more hospitals that are daily at risk of closing. Like just last year in Crenshaw County at Crenshaw Community Hospital, which by the way, is the only hospital in Crenshaw County, it was at risk of closing. And for Crenshaw Countyans, that means that the average person in the county would have to drive around 30 minutes to the nearest hospital if they needed to seek care. Okay, wait,
0: wow. wait, wait. So if, if it had closed, so wow. pretty much if, if I was at home taking care of, you know, an elderly relative, and they started complaining about chest pains or, and I looked over it and saw that they'd we. Like, like, they need, like, emergency attention. So I would have to hop in the car and drive 25 to 30 miles to yeah, their hospital. Cor-
1: yeah, that's absolutely correct. And, you know, as horrible and morbid as it sounds, yeah. like, there's a huge chance that your loved one might not even make it to the hospital a
0: lot Yeah. Time. Come on, Alabama. We have to we have to do better. Alabama. We got to do a lot
2: better than
0: what we're doing right
1: now. Yeah. 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 And and y'all, and when you compare like how far like a lot of Alabamians have to travel just for, you know, hospital care, or even to the doctor, it can be like 30 minutes to, you know, even longer. If you compare that to what the average rural American has to travel, they only travel about 10 and a half miles to the nearest hospital. So we have to travel a whole lot farther. Yeah. so it's really it's really not a good situation but anyway and even seven alabama counties do not have hospitals at all Lowndes county is a prime example of that and if you think back to 2019 when their sheriff was shot and killed it could have possibly saved his life if there was a hospital in the county because it's like probably like 25 or 30 minutes for them to get to the nearest hospital which is really sad when you think about yeah it.
0: no that's sad um, that is sad.
1: yeah and then when you Think about the fact that 9.7% of Alabamians are uninsured and Alabama is still one of the states that refuses to expand Medicaid, which could help with this number of uninsured people.
2: Right, and it's kind of crazy because it's like they refuse it even though 70% of Alabamians agree with Medicaid expansion.
0: I'm part of that 70%? Me too. (laughs) I mean, the Medicaid
2: expansion, like, it will really empower Alabama and it will be a huge investment because it will bring so many jobs. So it will provide 14,000 healthcare jobs, 8200 of those being healthcare businesses, 3200 of those being retail healthcare retail, 2100 being construction for these retail properties and 800 of them financial healthcare jobs.
0: It sounds like a win-win, right? I'm trying what to understand you think? why we're not taking that deal. Like what yeah. Right, like things,
2: right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But and then the other part of that is the amount of money Alabama has spent giving towards other states is absolutely ridiculous. And since 2014, Alabama has spent $4 billion of our taxpayer dollars to DC and $168 million to Kentucky alone. So we've technically been paying for Medicaid expansion, we just don't get any of those benefits.
0: Um, so Whoa. we're just gonna we're gonna back it up. We're just not gonna start through like you just didn't say that we're spending 168 million in another state, Cotusia, Yeah, to their Cotusia. Medicaid
2: expansion, and we don't even have any.
0: Okay, I just need to just let that. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, we, have, well. we have to do we have to do better. I stick We got to do better. We gotta do better, Alabama. Yeah. See when you know I mean, better, you
2: do better, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And considering that access to health care is so important to the quality of life, you would think that our state would make that a priority. And I'm sure everyone wants their family to have access to the best health care, or at least if there's an emergency situation, have access to a yeah. nearby hospital. Yeah, um, yeah. No, definitely. You know, and not having access to health care resources directly is it is directly related to redistricting because elected officials make decisions on where the funding goes
0: Yes, and speaking of elected officials, how do they get elected? Voting. redistricting is connected to voting also.
2: It is, and the lines control who you vote for. You know, changing the lines can change the voter. It can change the elected official, and it can even change the political landscape of what that district is. And based on the history shown to us in terms of Alabama and its past, and even right now, they've purposely drawn them in ways to dilute minority votes by three things. Cracking is the first one. And cracking is splitting the opposing party's voters into many different districts and then the second one is packing and that's packing as many voters as possible and opposing parties into one district and then last but not least racial gerrymandering uh, and it's a process in which district lines are drawn to prevent racial minorities from electing their preferred candidates
0: yeah so I mean, also community resources, redistricting is also connected to the resources that we might not think about every day, you know, in terms of having representation for or advocating for.
1: Yeah. And some of those things are like, you know, freshly paved streets and, you know, we all complain about having bumpy roads that make you feel like your car is going to fall apart. And we've even experienced a huge pothole that seems to never get fixed that, you know, might be big enough to swallow your car. Um, and then other things like, <laughs> you know, sewer services or even yeah. water services and landfills. Those are all important things that are affected by redistricting and even things like new sidewalks and parks and literally so many more things that you can associate your quality of life they're dependent upon redistricting because these things require funding and it's funding that isn't necessarily readily available at your you know at your city government or your county government and those entities rely on the federal government and the state government to help them get those resources and if you really think about the cities and towns that are thriving and are getting all these nice new amenities that we all want they have representatives who are fighting for them to get that so True. if you're True. if you think about it if your city and our town isn't getting nice new things it's probably because your representative is not fighting hard enough for you that's why it's so crucial to have someone represent your area who not only knows your area but also cares about your area
0: yes yes Kendra you make a great point I mean And most importantly, redistricting is connected to representation. When you talk about having someone that, you know, that represents you and that understands the needs of your area um, and cares about it and advocates for those needs, representation matters. Right now in Alabama, white officials can pass a law with, you know, without one single black vote. Now, before you diminish this concern to the desire to just get rid of white elected officials, It is so much deeper than It's not. It's not that Um, it's about, you know, but it's about having representation that reflects Alabama constituents in terms of race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, social, economic status, background, you know, the legislative body. um, I mean, think about it, you all, their most important function as lawmakers is writing, supporting and passing bills that do what? That address the constituents interests. I mean, yeah, I matters.
1: agree. The bottom line is Alabama has to do better. Like our legislatures have to learn that they work for all Alabamians, not just yes. white people. And, you know, and they're still playing the same tactics that they've been u- using for years. And that just doesn't work anymore for Alabamians.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Kendra, when you make that point, it makes me think of the public testimony that was given by Richard Jackson, um, where he was just talking about like how he wasn't. Gonna deal with this anymore, and I th- yeah. and I think we ha- we have that clip. Let's play that clip. But I'm just saying this. You know, you can bury your head in the sand and act like it's not real. But there's a generation that's coming along like uh, you've never seen before, and they're not gonna stand for this. I'm not gonna stand for it. I'll be 70 years old, and i just be damned if I go to my grave with the things that were that I put up with as a 12-year-old you know, that that I'm still putting up with. Wow. See.
2: I mean, That's real.
0: I, look, I stand with Mister Jackson. Right. Um, do you stand with Mister Jackson? Um, yeah, I stand ten yeah, toes yeah. down. With him, yeah, I stand <laughs> with Mister Jackson. Like, I, but you know, when I first saw that uh, that testimony, I was like, oh my gosh! Like, it broke my heart because I I, mm-hmm. I thought about what he said. He said, you know, as a twelve year old, and and he's seventy now, and he was like, you know, I'm not gonna go to my grave dealing with the same stuff. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how many redistricting cycles has he been, um, you know, has he been through? Has he been impacted by? And that's a lot. Like, you know, and he was just saying, look, there's a generation that's not going to stand for this. And so just yeah. pretty much calling them out. He saying, look, you all have been using the same tactics since I was 12. So like I said, I stay on Mr. Jackson, like it has to change. Like it is time for, for, it's just time for a change. Well into the 20th century, white men constitute an overwhelming majority of the voting population. Where um, you know where African Americans were routinely deprived of the opportunity to participate in democracy because of you know because of that and and then you know Hispanics and other minority groups they were fairly insignificant in you know in numbers and excluded by some states you know um, but then in the wake of the civil rights movement you have you know where African American representation began to grow and begin to enter in, in, in Congress in increasing numbers in 1971 to better represent. The interests of the African American community, uh, representatives, you know, founded the Congressional Black Caucus. So, yeah. you know, shout out to that.
2: Let's take it back in terms of Alabama. Uh, let's go back to Montgomery in the 1800s. Well, before Reconstruction, there was a black senator named James R. Pierre. Uh, but due to it being a redistricting year in the city of Montgomery, they drew the neighborhood that he was representing out of his district.
0: I'm saying same tactics. Like, same tactics. The same- Like, they better get these lines right. 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 We we deserve, Alabama deserves fair maps. We do, we do. Yeah. Right.
2: But, like, here's the kicker of that, though. That was in 1867, and his term ended in 1872. So it was the last time we ever saw a Black senator before Reconstruction for a while. And, in fact, it wasn't until 1970 when Attorney Fred Gray and Thomas Reed were elected, and they were the first two Black legislators since Reconstruction.
1: Oh, wait, hold on, Kadida. So you're what? saying that for almost 100 years, we didn't have black representation in this yeah, state.
2: That's exactly what I'm saying. And uh, my math ain't
1: too good, but I, 98 years. Well, <laughs> that is absolutely ridiculous. That
0: is that insane. That is that is ridiculous. And that's why, my you know, to my next point in terms of Alabama, the census data. Has shown that we have become more diverse in our demographics, which was the case across much of the U.S. But you know, in Alabama, we the most you know increase we have seen has been among people of color. I mean, now Alabama you know uh, remains very much a white majority state at sixty nine point one percent, and African Americans constitute the largest minority group at twenty six point eight percent. So yeah,
2: yeah, but out of that twenty six point eight percent, Black people constitute forty three percent. of them are in jail and 54% are in prison. Now, let's not talk about the prison gerrymandering that's going on when it comes to redistricting, which basically prison gerrymandering is when they draw their districts around large prisons and then pretend that the inmates are legitimate constituents.
0: So their body counts, but their vote doesn't. Their vote does not. We're gonna we we we're definitely gonna dive into that, but yeah. So so yeah. So African Americans constitute the largest minority group at twenty six point eight percent, and then Hispanics are at four point six, Asians at one point five, and Native Americans at 07 percent. So it is time that the lines be drawn in a way to allow people to elect officials reflective of their communities. Like it's past that time. So again, we're demanding. Fair maps, like Alabama deserves fair maps. Now, if you're listening or watching, you may be wondering how can you stay connected and get involved and stay informed through the redistricting process in this cycle? Uh, definitely tune in to future A Different Frame episodes Um, the podcast is streaming on all platforms and you can catch the video version the podcast of the recording (laughs) on um, social media platforms and our website so like follow, subscribe and share um, to just stay connected and get the latest news and updates regarding the special sessions um, and connect with our partner organizations on the ground that are fighting for fair math.
2: yeah so join us next time on a different frame for episode two the people spoke but did they listen uh we'll mm. be joined by a special guest to discuss the public hearings and what community members of interest said uh shares and requested for the 2021 redistricting cycle all right